Welcome to this episode of We Believe You, advocacy, resources, and healing around interpersonal trauma. I'm Casey. And I'm Jessica. And I'm Marie. This is Jessica, and you're listening to episode number 16, What to Know About Reporting. This is part two of our three-part discussion on reporting options. And in this episode, we'll be discussing what to know about reporting to the university. This is an option when your abuser is a student or an employee at your institution. Later in this podcast, we'll hear from one of CSU's Title IX investigators, Audrey Swenson, who has worked with many survivors to investigate reports of interpersonal violence. But first, we'll start with some general insight into what the process looks like. One thing to note is that in this podcast, I will be focusing on CSU's process. So keep in mind that every university has a different process. And if you have questions about your university's specific procedures for Title IX stuff, I'd recommend reaching out to an advocate or a Title IX investigator at your school. But as I mentioned before, if your abuser is a student or an employee at CSU, you have the option of reporting what happened to the university. And once you file a report, the university will investigate your claims and will try and determine if a Title IX violation occurred. So if your abuser is a CSU student, you would report to the Office of Support and Safety Assessment. This is the office at CSU that handles Title IX violations. We've included a link to this office in the show notes. But just like reporting to the police, you're welcome to connect with an advocate before making an official report to Support and Safety Assessment. An advocate can also accompany you to your meeting with the investigator to provide support for you during the process. After reporting, if an investigation is opened, it usually takes about 60 days to complete. To protect you during the investigative process, interim measures are put in place up until the outcome of the final hearing. Interim measures may include, but are not limited to, no contact orders, temporary suspension, or campus expulsion. After the investigation takes place, a report of the investigative findings will be sent to a separate office on campus called the Student Resolution Center. A hearing officer will then schedule a one-on-one hearing with your abuser, which CSU's process names as the responding party. You have options in how you would like to participate in the hearing, and the hearing officer or an advocate at the WGAC can help walk you through your options. So reporting to the university is different than reporting to law enforcement. When you're reporting to law enforcement, what they're looking at is the state statutes, so whether or not someone has violated the law. But when you're reporting to the university, we're not looking at the law, we're looking at the student code of conduct and the violations that occurred there. Students have the option of reporting both to law enforcement and the university. It's important to know that university reporting and law enforcement reporting have different burdens of proof. The outcome of one process is not dependent on the other. But keep in mind that these are the requirements at the time of this recording. The burden of proof can change depending on the federal Title IX regulations, so none of this is set in stone. And while this might sound like a simple process, there are times when it can feel like so much time goes by without anything happening. Sometimes it can also feel like you have to tell your story over and over. And just like reporting to law enforcement, the waiting can feel like the hardest part. But if your abuser is an employee at CSU, you would report to the Office of Equal Opportunity, or OEO. Again, links to these resources and offices will be included in the show notes. The process of reporting an incident, or incidences, of interpersonal violence by an employee is a bit different than the reporting process for a student. The university is unable to put interim measures in place during the investigation, and the outcome of this process is largely determined by the senior professionals of whichever department the abuser works in, as opposed to the hearing officer. So if you have specific questions about reporting abuse by an employee, 
I'd recommend connecting with an advocate to learn more about the process and to talk through your options. Okay, so another thing to know about the university reporting process is that any employee of CSU, aside from those employees deemed confidential, are required to report incidents of interpersonal violence to the university. What this means is that if you talk to your RA or a professor about what happened, they are legally required to report the information you shared with them to the Office of Support and Safety Assessment, even if your perpetrator is not a student or the abuse happened a while ago. So keep this in mind when you're considering who to talk to about what happened. Confidential resources are often the best way to go because you can talk through your options and receive support without a report being made to the university. At CSU, Confidential resources include advocates at the WGAC, counselors at the CSU Health Network Counseling Center, and anyone under the umbrella of the Health Network. RAs, teachers, advisors, mentors are not confidential. So lots of students have questions or concerns about what happens when their RA makes a report to the university after they shared what happened to them. In a moment, Audrey is going to share what happens when she receives a report from responsible employees, which will hopefully give you some insight. So now I'd like to welcome Audrey to the studio. As I said earlier, Audrey is a Title IX investigator at CSU, so she talks to students who are engaging in the reporting process with university. Welcome to the studio, Audrey, and thanks so much for joining us. So Audrey, before we get started with our interview, would you mind sharing with listeners some of your salient identities? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I identify as a white, heterosexual, cisgendered woman. I am a young professional as well here on CSU's campus. So um, I find that that comes into practice a lot with what I do. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So knowing that I've already explained the reporting process to our listeners, what would you like our listeners to know about how you, as an investigator, approach interviewing folks? Well, I guess for me, interviews are really intended to be collaborative. So um And maybe to take a step back and preface for listeners that may not be familiar with our language or process, but um, within our process, we use the terms um, impacted party and responding party. Mm -hmm. And so when I say impacted party, I'm referring to an individual um, who's reporting that they've been impacted um, in some way by an incident or ongoing behavior that falls under sexual misconduct or Mm -hmm. interpersonal violence. Um, so when I'm meeting with an impacted party, I, my number one priority is wanting them to feel comfortable, right. Um, and feel safe in that process so that we can be really working together. Um, so whatever that looks like in terms of getting comfortable, it could be having a support person come in with you. Um, so I encourage a lot of students to come in with an advocate, um, even if they're coming in and they haven't had a chance to connect with the Women and Gender Advocacy Center ahead of time, um, then I'll ask them, you know, when they get in, do you want to, before we start, um, have an advocate come down and check in so that you have someone here to support mm-hmm. you throughout the process. Um, it could be having a friend, a parent come in with you. Um, the one kind of caveat on that is we ask folks, um, if you are going to bring a friend in, that it um, maybe not be someone that you're wanting me to talk with later as a witness or something like that. So we try to keep those pieces separated. Um, but I have a stuffed llama. so <laughs> You do. <laughs> I do. So toys, if you want to uh-huh. bring in toys, toys are welcome. Mm-hmm. Or hot chocolate. Or hot chocolate. Yep. Yeah. Tea. Um, you know, everybody's got different scents. So sometimes like some lavender is helpful, whatever, whatever works for you. Um, then kind of going through interviews 
taking a pace that feels comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, So if we need to take breaks while we're having a conversation, then that's absolutely something we can do. Um, A lot of times folks will kind of take a pause and check in with their advocate and I'll step out of the room to give them a moment. And then, you know, we can pick up where we left off or, you know, if halfway through you're like, I think I've reached my limit, Mm -hmm. I'm ready um, to just kind of stop for today. That's something we can do. Um, So really moving through at a pace that feels comfortable for whoever I'm talking with. Um, And it can be guided, right? So I can be asking questions if that feels helpful or you can just tell me what you want me to know, right? Yeah. Um, And then if I have follow-up questions, I'll let you know. But the end-all goal is for an impacted party and I to work together to document um, their lived experience. So share what you're able and that's that's Mm -hmm. the goal of the conversation. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I think one of the things that I've appreciated the most about your office is and your role as an investigator is that you really are open to advocates being there and support people being there. And it's definitely made a difference for a lot of survivors. Yeah. I can't even tell you how much I appreciate when you all are there. (laughs) So the feeling's mutual. (laughs) Um, So can you talk to our listeners a little bit about what happens when you um, receive a report from a responsible employee on campus? I've already kind of filled our listeners in on what responsible employees are. Um, But what happens when you receive one of those reports? um, And what do you do with that information? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So when we get information in, my first step is going to be touching base with an impacted party. Um, So I'll typically outreach to them via phone or email, um, just letting them know, hey, you know, I've received this information Mm -hmm. and I want to check in with you first and first and foremost to make sure you're okay, um, but also let you know about resources that are available. And then as part of that conversation, um, I can be sharing reporting options with a student if that's something that they're interested in learning more about. Um, I think it's important for students to know that when I outreach to them, they can ignore me if they want to. (laughs) Um, I always tell people I probably wouldn't want to talk to me. So (laughs) (laughs) you do say that sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, if you're feeling like you're in a place where you don't want to follow back up and connect, um, that's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. Um, If you feel like you just want some initial information and then you realize after talking to me, you know what, this isn't something that I want to participate in, then that's okay too. Um, and my end all goal would be to respect that, right? I think the only exception where um, a student maybe doesn't want to participate in our process, but we would need to move forward with something would be if I was already aware of additional information, um, mm-hmm. that there was a concern for the greater campus community. So maybe pattern behavior or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um But otherwise, right, I would say in 99% of the conversations that I have with folks, they're either not responding. And so I let them know, you know, I don't want to bombard you. um, Mm -hmm. So I'm going to close out. And if you want to follow up with me later, that's perfectly fine. Or they just let me know I'm not interested and um, we leave it at that. Or we talk some more. Yeah, I think that's helpful, too, for a lot of students to know is, is sometimes I think there's this idea that if a responsible employee makes a report and you get a report, then automatically an investigation is going to happen and they have to participate in it and all yeah. of those things. So I think it's just helpful to know. Yeah. Yeah. That and is. I totally get how that could feel really scary mm-hmm. for someone who, you know, maybe they weren't aware initially that their faculty member that they were talking with or, you know, when they wrote in their paper for their CO 150 class, right. then they're processing that that right. would go somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. So I want folks to know that, yeah, it goes somewhere, but it, it stays with me. Yeah. Um, and that that can be the end of it. And it's also a way for students to get in touch with resources or learn about yeah. resources on campus that might be helpful outside of yeah. a university. 
the yeah. investigation process. Yeah. yeah. And I'd say that's my number one priority is that's even if they don't want to talk to me, connecting with you all. Thank you so much. Yeah. So I love this next question. Um, and I'm really curious what you, you have <laughs> to say here, but what would you say is the hardest part of your job? And then what's the best part? Gosh, that's a tough one. I'm going to be honest. Um, I guess I would say the hardest part is the work that I do is very detail oriented. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's easy to get kind of bogged down in that, but it's also very, very important to me that I'm paying attention to those details because those details are the things at the end of the day that, Mm -hmm. that matter. Um, so that's probably the, one of the more challenging aspects of it. Um, in terms of the best part of my job, I would, and I'm not, I'm not, um, moseying up, but I would have to say, um, the people that I work with. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I mean, as, as you know, right. The relationships that we have mm-hmm. are, are very fun. Um, and I think that we're all really supportive of mm-hmm. one another. And, um, so that, that is great that we, that we get to joke and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's, there's a good environment. I appreciate that immensely. Yeah. I mean, I'd even say that about us at the WGAC. I think what keeps us often at this, doing this work, even when it gets hard, is that we have each other yeah. and the environment that we're working in. Yeah. So I get that. Agreed. Totally. <laughs> um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, I guess a couple things I think maybe are helpful to acknowledge um, is I recognize that it's hard to mm-hmm. come in and talk to a stranger. I completely get that. So um, if there's something that I can be doing to help a student feel more comfortable um, coming in to meet with me, um, please don't hesitate to let me know that. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I think a a piece that is often forgotten is the secondary survivors. So the folks around someone that's been impacted who are maybe trying to learn about process for them or are processing themselves to some degree. And so if you know, we have some folks that are listening to this um, that feel like they fall into that category. Um, just really validating for them um, their experience and how important it is for me to hear from them as well as from um, an impacted student. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I am outreaching to a witness and they feel like, you know, I don't know what I can add, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'd still love to meet with you. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And we often do, sometimes we hear from parents or from friends who are like, what are my friend's options at this point? Or what are my daughter's options Yeah. Um, with the university? So that's good to know. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. This has been great to just have your perspective. And I'm, I'm sure that listeners, I'm hopeful that listeners have found this really beneficial and just helpful in hearing your voice and getting to know you a little bit as a person and um, as an investigator too. So thank you. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it, Jessica. Okay. Bye. So now that we've heard from Audrey a little bit more about what to expect from making a university report, I wanted to address some common concerns that survivors often have when considering reporting. Sometimes the whole law enforcement versus university reporting thing is super confusing. And as we talked about before, reporting to the university and reporting to law enforcement are two different processes. So you can choose to report to one and not the other, or you can choose to report to both or none at all. What I'd like to expand on here is that if you report to law enforcement first, they will share information with the university if the abuser is a student. If you report to the university first and also want to report to law enforcement, 
it'll be good to let the university investigator know that you're planning to talk to the police because in some instances, the university and law enforcement may be required to share information. In addition, I've heard a lot of students express concern that they'll have to interact with their abuser during the reporting process. The important thing to know is that at no point during the investigation or the hearing will you have to talk to or be in the same room as your abuser. When the hearing takes place at the end of the investigation, you'll have different options in how you would like to participate. None of the options require you to be in the same room as the perpetrator, and you can even decide not to participate at all. It won't reflect poorly on you in any way or affect the outcome of the process. So some of the survivors that I've worked with are concerned about retaliation. They fear that if they report, their abuser will retaliate against them in some way or that their abuser's friends will harass them. The university prohibits retaliation against anyone who reports interpersonal violence or who participates in this process. So retaliatory action is actually regarded as a basis for a separate violation under the university's procedures and can lead to separate sanctions. So if you've reported to the university and are being retaliated against, you just need to let your investigator know what's going on and or call the police if you feel like you're in danger. I also realize that survivors often have concerns not just about the reporting process, but also about how reporting will impact other aspects of their lives. Survivors I've worked with talk about a fear of losing their friend group, especially if they have a lot of mutual friends with their abuser. This concern shows up when making the decision to report to both law enforcement or the university, and it's a valid concern. I've seen many survivors experience huge shifts in their friend groups after reporting, which can be quite painful. Other survivors I've worked with fear how the university reporting process will impact their academics. Again, this is a valid concern. The process isn't always an easy one and can certainly impact your ability to remain focused on classes or on internships. Survivors have said that anytime they receive a call or an email from their investigator, it throws them off course and they have a harder time compartmentalizing their trauma. This is further compounded by the fact that survivors of trauma who experience even the slightest bit of stress can witness their ability to manage daily tasks go right outside the window. This is why it's really good to make sure that you have a support system in place and that you're aware of resources that can help you if you see your grades start to decline. And sometimes survivors are hesitant to report because they don't want to ruin their abuser's life. This is an incredibly common concern, and it's important to remember the impact that the trauma has had on your own life. Holding somebody accountable for their actions through the reporting process may help them to understand the harm they've caused you. And just remember, if your abuser never chose to hurt you in the first place, they wouldn't be facing these consequences. Many of the concerns that Victoria covered in the Law Enforcement Reporting Podcast can also apply to working with the university, so I'd certainly recommend giving that show a listen if you haven't already. But there are two important parallels to this conversation here. First of all, reporting to the university, just like reporting to law enforcement, gets complicated if a survivor is currently still in a relationship with their abuser or if they fear escalated violence after reporting. Relationships are complex, and sometimes the reports to the university or law enforcement are made without your permission. But as you heard Audrey say, you get to choose how or if you participate in the investigative process. At the WGAC, we also recognize that leaving a relationship is not always the right solution for the students we're working with. Keep in mind that we will support you, whatever you decide. And the second parallel is that survivors also often have concerns about reporting based on their unique identities, whether they're a person of color, disabled, queer, or trans, and how these identities will impact the investigation 
or whether or not they'll be believed and or respected during the process. I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but I did want to mention the identities piece because it certainly is a factor when deciding to report. I know we've talked extensively about identities in other episodes, so if discussions of identity are new to you, hopefully you'll have some framework around that by now. And making the decision to report is not always an easy one, and you can take your time making a decision. It can be helpful to talk through your options with resources or support systems. Often the questions I ask survivors contemplating this decision is, what would feel most empowering for you right now? Is it reporting what happened to you in all the ways that you can? Or is it focusing on other areas of your life? What do you feel like would help you in your healing process? Thinking about these questions can help. I know some survivors who have found that just the act of reporting makes them feel like they did all they could, regardless of the outcome of the university process. Other times, students feel like the whole process of reporting would be way too re-traumatizing for them to even consider. These are important considerations. And keep in mind that you don't have to report right away. It's okay to take time to think about reporting and decide what's best for you. Again, if you're at all confused about what this process entails for your unique situation, don't hesitate to reach out to an advocate at the WGAC. We'd be happy to talk through things with you and explain everything in more detail. So that's all for this episode of We Believe You, advocacy, resources, and healing around interpersonal trauma. Please remember that the WGAC is here to provide support for all CSU students, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. To reach an advocate, you can call 970-492-4242. If you have feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for the podcast, please email wgac at colostate.edu. That's wgac at c-o-l-o-s-t-a-t-e dot edu. For more information about advocacy and the Women and Gender Advocacy Center, go to www.wgac.colostate.edu. You can also find the WGAC on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. A big thank you to Xavier Hadley for creating the music used in this podcast and to our partnership with KCSU here at Colorado State University. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Thank you so much for listening.